Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run and drive with the Game Changers. And this is where the best are. We are live. It is March 17, 2020. Those of you around the world who are celebrating in some way St. Patrick's Day, be green, think about it, and have a good time, and be safe, don't drink and drive. That's my public service message. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Well, this is such a hot topic and such a hot show. We have two buzzes on the street, so listen up. Number one, I have a quote from Daniel Sperling. He spells his name S-P-E-R-L-I-N-G, lead author of a book called Three Revolutions, Steering Automated, Shared, and Electric Vehicles to a Better Future. Here's the quote. New technologies and business models are unlocking what could be a trillion-dollar market. Innovations in mobility are being matched and amplified by innovations in vehicle automation, sharing, and electrification. That's quote number one, buzz number one. Let that sink in. Now I'm going to read another one. This is from an article on ThoughtCo, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-C-O.com, called Seven Green Cars of the Future, What We'll Be Driving in 2025. Listen up. In any major city in the world, you'll find smog, mostly from cars, SUVs, and pickup trucks. But things are about to get better. The car won't disappear. It will just be powered by different energies and, in some cases, take on new shapes. So now that we've established those two buzzes, let's see what we're going to be talking about today. Here we go. The mobility industry and the sustainability sector are converging powerfully. It's cheaper now, you may have heard this, to build net new solar plants and wind farms than to continue to fuel existing gas-fired power plants. That's just one example. And automakers are efficiently and cheaply producing high-performance electric vehicles. We know that. These intertwined forces are radically altering the economic logic that is underlying business decisions in the mobility industry. So what new business mobility businesses will be possible? We're going to find out. And how can established, I'm hearing a lot of noise in the background, how can established automotive players like fleet managers hmm, transition into this future? I have two experts on the line with us today. We're going to be hearing from them themselves in a moment. They'll introduce themselves. First up, we'll be welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers, Colin Sutherland, the executive VP of sales and marketing at a company called Geotab, GE. O-T-A-B, and he'll tell us what his company does. And welcoming back, longtime fan of and participant in Game Changers Radio, Tom Raftery, the man who really rocks a hat, Global VP at SAP. Our topic today is From Fossil Fuels to Electrons, Future Trends in the Mobility Industry. Welcome, welcome, welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP, the sponsor of the series, and her colleagues who support the show. So, Colin Sutherland, welcome to Game Changers Radio. Please introduce yourself to everybody. What do you do and what is Geotab? Colin? Hey, Bonnie. Yeah, hey, Bonnie. Uh, hi, Tom, as well. So, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm glad we have a full hour um, so we can really get into some of the detail as well. So, Colin, uh, I'm Colin Sutherland. As Bonnie said, I'm one of the founders of our company um, that has been now in business for 20 years, focusing on what's called the telematics industry for fleet. So telematics is when we take data from fleet vehicles. It could be the vehicle that's delivering packages to your doorstep, or it could be the heavy-duty truck that's moving container goods across the country. Um, and we record all kinds of information from that vehicle right down to how the engine is performing, to where it's located, to when it arrives at a customer destination, to how safe is the driver behind the wheel. Uh, we have 2 million-plus connected vehicles in the world, and we're the number one telematics provider for fleet telematics technology in the world. Um, we're really excited to be able to join you guys today. Thank you very much, Colin. That's absolutely fascinating. I have a question, though. When I hear 2 million connected vehicles and I hear we know everything from car performance to driver performance, are we in the big daddy, big mommy or watching us era? Or how, how do we get around that? Is there a privacy issue? I'm just going to be bold and ask that question, Colin. 
Well, Bonnie, that, that question was something that, that we had to address about 15 years ago. I think yeah. we've just gone past that now. Luckily, we've gone past that. In, uh, in business, um, it's, it's a little different than in your personal life. In the business life, business leaders are adopting this technology. The drivers of the business vehicle knows that the technology is installed. It's, uh, when we started our company about 20 years ago, we focused on the purpose of, uh, of data, so how much data can be collected from a vehicle, and then what can that data um, be used or how can that data be used by the business leader um, to transform how they think, right? Do we have the right number of vehicles? Where are they located? Um, are, are our employees safe? Because the vehicle is an extension of the workplace. Mm-hmm. You have workplace hazardous stuff in your offices. We make sure we don't run with scissors in the office. You know, we make sure we have a clean and safe place to work when we visit our offices. But the vehicle is just an extension of that. And we, need, and we see when we see a vehicle, we see that. And as a result, I think in the business environment, it's very, very different than the concern about, you know, privacy issues that you might have in your personal life, which may be justified in the business world. Um, it's not being used for that purpose. Our, our customers are using it for much more business gathering and, uh, and decision-making um, capabilities. Thank you very much for clarification. Appreciate that, Mr. Sutherland. And now we're going to move around the table. We have two guests, so we're moving one seat around the table to Tom Raftery. Tom, are you wearing your hat today? Your fam- I see you have a new hat in your picture. <laughs> and you know, Bonnie, that, that hat that I have in the picture, that picture that you saw is one uh, where I was giving the closing keynote for Geotab at Collins event in San Diego earlier this year. So that's where that picture was taken. They were good enough in Geotab to have a professional photographer at one of the booths taking photographs for anyone who wanted free and gratis. So I got an updated profile picture uh, as, a nice, as a nice present in return to being a Well, Colin and company, that was a good photographer. That's a really sharp, updated picture of Tom Raftery. And I'm glad he insisted on wearing the hat because I won't talk to him unless he keeps his hat on. He knows that. He knows that. (laughs) Lady in the house, but Tom has to wear that hat. Tom, for those in our audience who, for some strange reason, don't know who you are, I can't imagine anybody doesn't at this point in time. We've done our best to continue to store your, make you a star around the world, which you already are. Tom, please introduce yourself and pretend this. Pretend there's at least one person who doesn't know you. So what do you do, Tom? Oh, sure, I'm sure there's a lot more than one. And um, so uh, I'm uh, with SAP since 2016 now. Uh, my role in SAP is Global VP, Futurist, and Innovation Evangelist. So uh, unlike Colin, I'm not someone who is dedicated to the automotive or transportation industry. I'm a lot broader than that. I go across a lot of different industries. Uh, before joining SAP, I worked as an industry analyst for a company called Redmonk. And in that organization, I led the practice within Redmonk, which focused on energy and sustainability, which we called Greenmonk. So hmm. I come to uh, this event. I, I came to Colin's event with a, a deep, deep background in sustainability and in energy. And now, uh, because we're seeing a shift as you rightly said in your intro, away from the fossil fuel industry and towards um, more sustainable transportation. Transportation in general and automotive in particular have become uh, areas that I've been really, really interested in and doing a lot of research about. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Tom. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go around, back around the table to our first guest, Colin Sutherland. And Colin, you have sent me a quote at my request before the show. I asked you for a quote that's not specifically about our topic, and you're going to explain how the quote relates to or reminds you of the topic. So Colin has picked a quote from Walt Disney, who's been very quoted recently, Colin. For some reason, there's a resurgence in quotes from Walt Disney. And those of you listening who were fans of Disney World and Mickey Mouse and animation, the quote has nothing to do with that part of Walt Walt Disney's life. It's a serious quote. By the way, anybody who hasn't heard of Walt Disney, 1901 to 1966, American entrepreneur, animator, voice actor, and film producer. He was a pioneer of the American animation industry, produced several developments in the production of cartoons. Mickey Mouse, Mickey, we all know. As a film producer, Walt Disney holds the record for the most Academy Awards ever earned by an individual. He won 22 Oscars out of 59 nominations. There you go. So Here's the quote Colin Sutherland at Geotab has selected from Walt Disney. Quote, times and conditions change so rapidly that we must keep our aim constantly focused on the future. Great quote, Colin. Where'd you find this one? So I love Walt Disney. I, I consider him 
to be my business mentor. I've read every book that uh, that that Walt wrote uh, in his in his years. I was also a junior animator in my teens, so I Ooh. kind of got a, a, a shine to to Disney when I was younger. Um, but when I was uh, sitting at, in our company, you know, we talked about business and fleet, and uh, and we studied this thing called smart cities and how cities are going to be. Um, evolving using technology and how vehicles and charging infrastructure is going to evolve. And, you know, uh, when Disney created this thing called Epcot uh, down in Florida, which is mm-hmm. the experimental prototype community of tomorrow, I don't think a lot of people know what Epcot stands for. No, they don't. <laughs> but basically, yeah, right. Well, now you do. Experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And basically with a smart city, he designed this area thinking, I'm going to create this area that's going to evolve as people move and as they live and they want to. In fact, when Epcot was first designed by Walt, um, it was going to be a residential place. It wasn't going to be a theme park. It wasn't going to be what it is today. It was designed to be literally a prototype community of tomorrow. And you see all these smart cities popping up around the world. And out here in Toronto, we have organization called Sidewalk Labs, which is a group from Alphabet, the Google organization, trying to also design an experimental prototype community of tomorrow. They studied all these different different prototypes at different places around the world and said, well, we're going to be a smart city, and they, you know, we're going to have intelligent traffic lights, and we're going to put intelligent infrastructure in place. And they studied the, about 100 projects. This is Alphabet now. studied 100 projects mm-hmm. around the world. And they determined that Epcot was the closest thing that was actually designed to be a prototype smart city. And they said the only flaw was that Walt didn't survive to actually see it being built. Unfortunately, he passed away the year before Epcot was completed. Um, but I just love that, that quote because it's the idea that you can't be complacent. As a business, you have to be agile on your toes all the time. You're dealing in this uh, you know, faster, disruptive world from fossil fuel to electric, and over the transition, as you said, Bonnie, in your intro, over the next five years, we're going to see this amazing transformation from, especially in the business fleet community, which are a large volume of buyers of vehicles or fleets, they put these vehicles into the market, and they're going to be in the leading edge of adopting these brand new electric, uh, you know, low, low emissions or sustainable vehicles, mm-hmm. and it's important that we are um, also embracing that concept so that you know, fleets and businesses aren't necessarily known as the cutting-edge people. They can be quite conservative, and the fleet managers can be quite conservative. And we need to always put out there, you've got to move. Times are changing. You've got to invest in this new technology. So as a day-to-day philosophy, I bring that to my workplace every single day, that it's really important that we stay on our toes and we continuously um, evolve. We see what's going on, and we want to drive that vision forward just like Walt did years ago. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that quote, Colin. We've heard similar quotes, but not exactly that one from Disney. And as I said, there seems to be a resurgence in people looking at the lore and the legacy of Disney apart from his animation and movie career. Very interesting. Thank you. Tom Raftery, you're up next. And this is a very well-known quote from Henry Ford. I'll give a little background. 1863 to 1947, American industrialist and a big business magnet. Those of you too young to know, there are two spellings for magnet. This is not the M-A-G-N-E-T. This is the M-A-G-N-A-T-E. He was the founder of the Ford Motor Company. He did not invent the automobile. No, Henry Ford did not invent the car. He did not even invent the assembly line. But he developed and manufactured the first automobile that many middle-class Americans could afford, converting it from what was an expensive curiosity, and, and my mom, passed away a couple of years ago, told me the story of when her dad bought his first car. My mother was born in 1917. You could do the math, and she was the youngest by many, many years of five children. When her dad showed up with the car, they all went out to say, what is that? Same thing with the first radio, too. Uh, He turned it from an expensive curiosity into a practical conveyance that profoundly impacted the landscape of the 20th century. Henry Ford introduced the Model T that revolutionized transportation and American industry, and he credited He's credited with coining the phrase Fordism. It's the mass production of inexpensive goods coupled with high wages for workers. So there. And here is the quote. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Tom, love the quote. Talk to me. How would you find this one? Uh, it's, it's one I've known about for a long time. I can't remember where I came across it first, Bonnie, but uh, 
it, it's one that really that, that really uh, appeals to me. It, it, it's a bit like the Wayne Gretzky quote that you know everyone knows uh, mm-hmm. that you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. It, it, it's a very similar way of saying it. Um, I'm uh, I'm very much a glass full person by nature, and I, I I truly believe that that's important. That if you are a pessimist by nature, or if you have a negative outlook on things. Uh, then there's a good chance that, you know, if you think ahead that if you're not going to be able to get something done, there's a good chance you won't. But if you are, you know, as Steve Jobs said, one of the crazy optimists, uh, then there's a far better chance that you'll achieve something that others cannot because you're, you're not willing to believe that it's impossible to do it. So if you think it's possible to do it and you, you keep going and going and going, you will actually get it done. There you go. Thank you very much. Great, great quote. Uh, a lot of that is, it, Tom, it's it's motivational, isn't it? It's put your head it in is, the right yeah. place, right? Think about what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and this, Tom, this reminds me of a quote from, um, from was it from Yoda? Uh, there is no try. Oh, yes. Right? There is no try. You either, I, my brain is going out into different, different parts of the animation world. You either do or you don't. There is no try. I think it's the same thing. And I think that's, that's what it. we need to do to motivate everybody. I'm going to go around the table one time and then we're going to take a quick break. Colin Sutherland, we used to ask on the show, what's in your cup today? And people were telling me it was just a boring cup of water or old coffee. So I changed it to what's your favorite beverage? You're a guy with, I get to a lot of energy, a lot of savvy, a lot of brain power. So what powers Colin Sutherland. Any drink you can even mention a brand. What's what do you love to have in your cup, your stein, your flute, your thermos, your 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 bathtub? Colin, what are you drinking these days? Oh man, you can't believe it, Bonnie. I'm actually I'm, I'm actually drinking uh, the, the IOT of water. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's actually <laughs> sparkling water. It's flavored, but from a company called Bubbly, which you know we have got all these little bubbly stations around the office. And yeah, it dispenses water, but it actually collects data in the background as you want still or sparkling, and as you select a flavor, it accumulates all that knowledge and then produces reports based on, you know, the four or five hundred employees that we have in the building and what this preferential flavor is by time of day, and like sparkling or still. So it's the most silly thing, right? So it's the glass of water, but it is literally the IoT of water, and I just think it's awesome. I totally nerd out on my glasses of water now. I have never heard of it, and I have to spell it, Colin. You know me by now. B-U-B-L-Y. It's almost like the famous That's Canadian it? singer, Michel Bublé. This is B-U-B-L-Y. If you want to look it up, it's bubbly, sparkling water, B-U-B-L-Y.com. And they say they have uh, eight flavor variety packs. They've got 15 flavors. And the website says, oh, hi there. We're bubbly, flavored sparkling water, a playful pairing of crisp sparkling water and natural fruit flavors. 15 flavors, no calories, no sweet, no sweeteners, all smiles. Come hold cans with me. Come. And then the hashtag is crack a smile. Wow, that's a new one. Colin, I have to give you the award for the most recent newest drink anybody has ever said on the show. We, you know, after, uh, well, nine years of radio and thousands and thousands of guests every year. Tom knows how long I've been doing this. We have maybe almost 2,000 shows. And think about that, three to three to five people per show. So think about all the drinks we've shared on the, these shows, these Game Changers radio shows, Colin Sutherland, and you found a new one. Thank you. I appreciate that. Drink up. Tom Raftery, no pressure on you now. But it's St. <laughs> Patrick's Day somewhere in the world. And even though everything is shutting down, we're not going to say why. Uh, if you had a virtual drink, what are you drinking or what would you drink if you were in somebody's companionship for St. Patrick's Day? Tom Raftery, what's your favorite beverage these days? Uh, no, I can't compete with, uh, with Conan on that, I'm afraid. <laughs> for originality, at least. Um, and, you know... Uh, as we've mentioned already, I'm, I'm from Ireland, so it, it, and I live St. Patrick's Day, so beer is my beverage of choice. Um, you know, the, the, lots of people go with uh, wines and champagnes and things like that as their beverage of choice, but uh, there, there's no vineyard in Ireland. So I, I never grew up with a, a culture of uh, uh, wine, but beer, there's plenty of barley in Ireland because it rains a lot, so no, beer is my beverage of choice. And uh, here in Spain, I live in Seville in the south of Spain, and the, the local brew here is called Cruz Campo. 
So mm-hmm. that's my that's my beer of choice, and I'll be cracking open one of those later this evening. It's a little bit early still, but later this evening I'll be cracking open one of those to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Tom, would you please spell that for me? I want to look it up. You know that. What what is the drink spelled? Of the beer. It's Cruise Campo. C R U Z C A M P O. All one word. Cruise Campo. Let me find that. Here it is. I have Cer- mm. Cerveza Cruise Campo Maestria Cervea de Sede 1904. Cruise Campo Lager. Is it? Well, that's a new one too, yeah. Tom. You share the honor for new drink <laughs> with Colin. Come on. You both delighted me. Cruise Campo <laughs> Lager is a premium. Colin, share that crown with Tom, please, although he's already got a hat on. Cruise Campo <laughs> Lager is a premium quality Pilsner beer, light tasting with a fine balance of malt and hops and an aromatic floral aroma, and a dry finish. And you can find it on beersofeurope.co.uk if you want. And its website is cruzcampo, C-R-U-Z-C-A-M-P-O dot E-S in Spain. Thank you very much. It's considered to be the biggest beer producer in Spain, Tom, and it's founded in 1904 by Roberto Osborne and Augustine Osborne in Seville. Very interesting. It looks like it's a Heineken company, by the way. It looks like they bought it, yes? Correct. Yep, Correct. they did. I bought it a few years ago. They did. See, there you go. What can I tell you? Okay, I'm very, and I'm going to be the boring one. I'm drinking cool, clear water here in my cool, clear mug. With uh, here's what's new: silicone straw. Gave up the paper straw. Hated them. Didn't well. Had to give up the plastic straw to be eco friendly, but didn't like the paper straws, even though they have a red and looks like a barbershop pole design on them. And you know I'm a redhead, Tom, and I'm in silicone straws now, and that just suits me fine to be eco-responsible. It's cool, clear water in my ice maker. My fridge stopped working today, so it's just cool, clear water with no ice in it. What can I say? But they say warmer water is slightly more healthy for us in these days. That's all I'll say. We're going to take a quick break. Believe it or not, we're really talking about from fossil fuels to electrons, future trends in the mobility industry. I have the great pleasure speaking with two experts, two really, really savvy and articulate gentlemen. We have Colin Sutherland. He spells his name, first name C-O-L-I-N, if you want to look him up, Sutherland, S-U-T-H-E-R-L-A-N-D, at a company called Geotab, G-E-O-T-A-B, and Tom Raftery. You can spell that at S-A-P. Bonnie D. Graham saying one word I learned from one of my favorite hosts on NPR radio. Stay. We'll be right back. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator within the automotive and manufacturing industries as we help automotive and industrial manufacturing companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support your ecosystem, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new experience economy. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive and industrial manufacturing industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Mobility and Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at voiceamerica.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Mobility and Manufacturing with Game Changers. That's right. Welcome back. And if you're wondering where this show came from, it used to be the future of cars with Game Changers. And we have updated, expanded, and modernized, if you will, the title. Thank you to Judy Cubis and her colleagues at SAP. So it's no longer the future of cars. It's now a broader look at the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. My special guests today are Colin Sutherland at Geotab and Tom Raftery at SAP. And we're going to take a deep dive into 
the roundtable part of our show. We've already been going around the table, but this is the segment where I have asked my panelists in advance to send me some statements about their POV, their point of view on the topic. I'll read a little bit from first from one from Colin Sutherland. Read just a little bit. He sent me some very, very long paragraphs with wonderful information, but I don't want to sit here and read it. So I'll read a little. Colin will then expand it for us to about two and a half, three minutes. Then I'll invite Tom Raftery to chime in with his point of view, agree or disagree, or add or subtract. And then we'll pick one from Tom and go back and forth, and that will be what we do for almost the rest of the show. So Colin Sutherland told me the following. The transition from fossil fuel to electric-powered vehicles is motivated by a combination of government compliance, government incentives, and climate change leadership within business, specifically in the areas of environmental health, sustainability, and safety. Colin, as they say on the news shows, would you please unpack that for us? Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Well, yeah, so that, I mean, if, when you think about electric vehicles in your personal life, are you going to go buy yourself a car right now? And why would you buy an electric vehicle versus a combustion vehicle? And many people are afraid of the, of the electric vehicle because of, you know, misperceptions around uh, range and charge, uh, charging the battery and so on. But it really requires fleet and government to kind of drive the initiative. I think in our personal lives, you know, we're a little skeptical and we don't really want change, but, you know, business leaders and government leaders are in that place of change. We're thought leaders. We have a lot of vehicles that go on the, on the ground. As I said, you know, we, as a company, we have two million of them on the road. And I think it's just really important that, uh, that companies act responsibly and that we put these concepts around sustainability and safety at the forefront of the vehicle selection pro- uh, program, and it wasn't always that way in government and fleet. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you know, uh, for, for government and fleet business owners, um, you know, they were really looking at things like something called total cost of ownership. That was the most important thing, the old fleet manager. And for, but for business and government guys, they were just looking at, well, what's the cost? What's my maintenance budget for my fleet? And how many vehicles do I need? And I have to buy some more vehicles in the coming years. So what am I going to go ahead and purchase? And something happened in the last couple of years. It was actually driven from compliance, from especially in Europe, with some of the taxation around um, combustion fossil fuel vehicles versus um, sustainable options around electric. That kind of drove some of the decision making. But quite honestly, a lot of them just went to um, you know more fuel efficient vehicles versus more combustion mm-hmm. fuel efficient vehicles versus going electric. Really took things like urban city uh, city managers, mayors saying. In the center core of our city, we will have zero emission vehicles. And that came down about two or three years ago from some government organizations. Um, certainly we've seen that here where I am in the United States, where the state of California sets out very specific emissions guidelines, and then businesses follow what the state of California says. The state of California weren't, weren't environmentally friendly in laying out these absolute requirements for car makers to be a specific way you can be sure that, that businesses wouldn't do it all on their own. Um, and that's, that's what I mean when I, when I talk about the importance of government and the importance of business to sort of lead the way at the cutting edge of these technologies, to adopt them, to embrace them, put them into practical use, and then show the rest of us and our drivers of those vehicles that electric vehicles aren't actually scary. They're actually really terrific to drive. I like that. They aren't actually scary, but they're terrific to drive. That's a good point, and that's where we hope the mindset will go. Tom Raftery, please chime in. Agree or disagree, or just expand what Colin Sutherland said. Go ahead, Tom. I think this is going to be a very boring show, Bonnie, honestly, because Colin and I are going to be in violent agreement throughout the show. (laughs) um, Yeah, Colin is absolutely right. Uh, The... There's been a number of factors which have uh, brought electric vehicles to the fore. I think one of the first ones is uh, Elon Musk and Tesla showing that it is possible to build viable electric, and not just viable, but cool electric vehicles. And having seen this, we saw lots of regulators in countries and in cities decide to change the regulations around vehicles. I mean, we have lots of different cities. We have uh, Stuttgart, Madrid, Milan, Barcelona, Hamburg, Oslo, Paris, London, New York, Stockholm, etc. All have passed legislation saying which types of vehicles can enter the city and how much they have to pay to go into the city. And they typically penalize older, more polluting cars and they give a free pass to electric vehicles. And they're 
these cities are becoming more and more strict, and there are more and more cities enacting these types of legislation. And at the same time, we are seeing different countries also saying when they're going to phase out the sales of internal combustion engine vehicles. We've seen Denmark, Norway, Israel, UK, France, Ireland. Uh, in fact, recently, the UK had said they were going to phase out the sale of vehicles by 2040, and they brought that forward to 2035. Other countries like Norway has said 2025. So in five years' time, Ireland has said 2030. So different countries have said different dates. But if you stop and, and think about this for a second, the... Uh, Countries are outlawing the sales of these vehicles. Cities are charging people to um, to drive older, more polluting vehicles, and they're giving a free pass to, to electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, as Tesla have demonstrated, are cool to drive, and they're getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper every year because the battery costs have fallen 80%, and they continue to fall. They've fallen 80, 87%, actually, according to Bloomberg, since 2012, and they continue to fall. So these cars are going to get cheaper. They're going to get a free pass into cities. Uh, they're cool to drive. Uh, internal combustion engine vehicles are getting more expensive because they have higher emission standards to meet. They're more expensive to drive because the fuel is for them is a lot more expensive than electricity. And so if you were going, as, as Colin started out to say, if you were going out on a decision today to buy a car, would you buy an internal combustion engine vehicle knowing that it would be much harder to drive in cities in two, three, four, or even today, or two, three, four years' time in your own city? And would you be able to sell it in five years' time at a time when electric vehicles are significantly cheaper again than they are today? So, uh, and, and one last thing, Bonnie, I know we're in a tough place in the world today with the coronavirus, and I know you didn't want to mention it, but yep. I got up this morning. I went out to my car because I had to do a bit of grocery shopping. And, you know, we're under quarantine here in Seville, but you're allowed to go grocery shopping. And so when I went out to my car, I had it plugged in because it's an electric vehicle. And it had a full tank because it's an electric vehicle and because it's plugged in. And it's plugged into a normal two-pin plug. So I I had a full tank. And when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'll have a full tank. And when I wake up the next morning, I'll have a full tank. I don't have to go to any forecourt, any gas station to, to fuel my, my car. I fuel it at home from 100% renewable electricity. Hmm. There you go. The times we're in, right, Tom? And we're trying yeah. trying to keep on yeah. smiling. Thank you. That's why we're so glad we're continuing to do. By the way, everyone, uh, Game Changers Radio, all of my radio shows are done remotely. So I'm going to say this. No humans are put in harm's way by getting together to do a show. We're all in different parts of the world. So there you go. Thank you, Tom. Colin, anything you want to add on what Tom commented on before I move to a statement, a very interesting statement from Tom? Well, I would, yeah, I think that when Tom mentioned, I mean, he's reflecting on his personal life and, and his choices. Um, you know, when we look at, uh, at, at the um, safety of the electric vehicle, um, that's what I think people aren't appreciating. Um, mm-hmm. the, the fact that uh, the drivers of electric vehicles, I think when I first drove my first Tesla, to be honest, about four or five years ago when they first came out, scared the daylights out of me. The acceleration of that vehicle was phenomenal. Um, but now, so I think people sort of translate their personal experience, maybe even if you drove a passenger car, but in the fleet world, um, what we're hearing from the drivers is they absolutely love the electric vehicle. They love how quiet it is. It doesn't mm. vibrate. Like they can actually, they noticeably feel the difference that there's not that vibration from the combustion thing going on. It gradually accelerates. They love the torque of the electric vehicle. So what we've heard is that actually the electric vehicle drivers for fleet are safer behind the wheel. They care about the driving experience better. Mm. Um, the the vast majority of, of vehicles in the fleet world, quite frankly, could be, especially for city, urban, last mile delivery, they completely can do the duty cycle and then get recharged, as Tom was saying, to have a full tank the very next day. It's there, People have this misperception of electric vehicle, uh, of the electric consumption and the battery drain, and is it going to be able to do what I needed to do um, mm-hmm. today? It's really important that um, people just check their perceptions and maybe their misperceptions at the door and rethink what the standard is today for electric vehicles in a fleet environment, especially these minivans, white vans that are coming into the marketplace. 
Thank you. Do you think there's a, a mindset shift here, Colin and Tom? You said people are not afraid of them and they're even excited to drive them. They're paying more attention. Do you think it's, wow, I've got the, the shiny new thing on the road. I'm driving something that we only talked about, we only dreamed, for some people dreamed about, that this is new and exciting and I'm part of this. Do you think there's that mindset that's, that's driving, quote unquote, pun intended? Colin, if Colin first and then Tom, what do you think? It's a people thing I'm talking about. Oh yeah. So with all the feedback we've had from our fleet customers that have electric uh, electric vehicles is exactly that. They said that that was the, the first feedback we hear from the fleet manager is we can't believe how excited our drivers are to yes. drive these vehicles, and yes. they didn't expect that. That was not yep. anticipated. They bought them for different reasons around you know depreciation, running cost per mile, mm-hmm. efficiency of the asset. The unintended consequence was how happy and excited the drivers are to be driving the electric vehicle which is a great positive story that they did not expect. That's what I was looking for. I had a feeling. We look, we look uh, Colin, on these shows, we look for the human side of technology. We look for, I look for little snippets of conversation from my panelists where we can talk about the people side, whether it's change management, whether it's excitement to go to work, whether it's how do you feel about being able to be on the front lines of embracing new, exciting technology. And this makes sense because people have an emotional relationship with their cars. Damn it, I do. I, drive, I still drive a sports car. Not very much anymore because I work from home, but the point is there's an an emotional component here and uh yes and <laughs> i'm looking at some some uh, tweets from judy cubis here thank you tom you want to talk about that excitement about being driver of an electric vehicle that feeling of yes i've arrived or i'm about to arrive what do you think tom do we have tom Tom dropped. Oh, my goodness, and I was about to go to a statement in his notes. Can we get Tom back? Thank you, Judy. Tom is responding to tweets, but we don't have Tom. Uh, Aaron, you want to call him back, please? We're going to call Tom Raftery back. Um, Colin, let me go to one of your other statements, and we'll fill in some time here while we're waiting. Uh, Colin, let's look at your number two statement, rideshare versus fleet use. This is another sustainability issue, I think, another economically driven trend we're seeing. You say, well, much of fleet use in Europe has been have been automobile use as an employment benefit. The fleet management community has been concerned about the size of the fleet vehicle market shrinking as drivers choose alternative modes of transportation, including ride-sharing cars, ride-sharing bicycles, ride-sharing scooters. Colin, let's fill in while we're waiting to get back to Tom Raftery. Go ahead, Colin. Yeah, well, Bonnie, I mean, you renamed your show for this topic. <laughs> not that you did it specifically <laughs> for this topic, but you're right. It was not just the future of cars, right? The future of cars in the fleet world, if you were talking to anybody anywhere in the world, in the leasing industry, leasing vehicles to businesses, or for whether they're passenger car or, or white vans, whatever they may be, they were concerned that the total number of fleet vehicles that were out there, that that entire universe was going to shrink dramatically as individuals opted not to have that personal car allowance. Um, you know, if you're a salesperson on the road, I would rather opt in using different modes of transportation, including mm-hmm. rideshare options. And the reality is that the pie is growing. And it's growing because uh, in the fleet world, that rideshare um, operator that you thought to go and, and use is actually a fleet. Um, we're seeing a transition in the rideshare world from the idea of Colin owns a personal car and in my spare time after hours I go and I decide to drive a few miles or a few hours a day for a rideshare company. Um, the opportunity in rideshare is so big and the organization around rideshare, and that's probably a different topic, different program you may have had or will have in the future, mm-hmm. but the, the reality is that those vehicles themselves are deemed to be fleet vehicles or normally owned by a company that has a few hundred of them and contracts drivers to go out and do that type of work. And, and again, the positive news there is that if you want to be a disruptor in the rideshare industry, if you want to get involved in the rideshare industry, it's all about running costs per mile. You've got to make sure that the asset yep. you're putting on the road that you're driving your miles on is cost-effective on a per-kilometer or per-mile basis, and the great news is that electric vehicles are. They're incredibly competitive on a per-mile or per-kilometer basis, whether it's a pass car, passenger car, or a last-mile delivery vehicle. That, to me, is the exciting part, is that the pie has grown because fleets have understood that the running cost per mile, the duty cycle, and ride share 
or even last mile delivery, which quite frankly, a lot of the rideshare guys are delivering groceries for Uber Eats and different mm-hmm. organizations like that too. It's hugely cost competitive, hugely uh, enabling companies to be agile because they know exactly how their running cost per mile is. Thank you. And I'm thinking of the, the um, display on the side of the yellow cabs in New York. I haven't been in New York in a couple of years, Colin, but it tells you a quarter of a mile of what the starting rate is, right? And a quarter of a mile and how much you're going to rack up on the cost on the meter for every quarter mile, every half mile, whether in the city, out of the city. And this is very interesting. It's just bringing back memories of seeing that. How much can I afford to stay in this cab? Okay. Uh, Tom Rafter is back with us. Tom, you just posted on Twitter. I don't know if I'll get to explain it. My line drop. Sure, you can explain it, Tom. Raftery, what? <laughs> you're back. What's going on? Uh, so, um, I, I missed your question to Colin. Sorry, yeah, and his response. Most of it uh, just caught the end of it there. He was talking about ride sharing. Uh, the the um, the response on Twitter that I was talking about was uh, in response to Judy tweeting about the iPhoneification of the uh, automotive sector. Tom, um, I didn't get uh, I didn't get to that comment yet. Uh, let me read that comment now okay. because I t- tweeted I posted it on Twitter because I was about to ask you and then your line dropped when I was just getting to you. So give me give me one second here. Here's what Tom Raftery said. We'll talk about and Colin, you just got yourself an invitation back on a show, a different show, and we're going to talk about who you're sharing your ride with. So you and Tom will come back for that. But here's what Tom Raftery said in his statements to me before the show. He said the 2020s will see the iPhoneification of the automotive sector with the stellar rise of new entrants, new business models, and, wait for it, everyone, some big incumbents going the way of, oh, BlackBerry and Nokia. I used to work for Nokia on the IntelliSync project. Tom, talk to me. iPhoneification of automotive. It sounds sexy, if I can say that on the radio. What are we talking about here? Now you can explain it. So we're talking about shifting business models. It's funny, because uh, we're seeing a huge change just starting to happen in the automotive sector. Um, we, we've talked already about electrification and uh, shared services that I just caught the end of there. Um, mm-hmm. But what's really interesting to me and something that I see that's going to be a big trend is something that Tesla has started to do. And, you know, Tesla is a real trendsetters in this industry. And something that started to do recently is they've started to sell software. So uh, just before Christmas in December, at the start of December, they put an update, most of their over-the-air updates. And for people who are unaware, uh, if you own a Tesla, in the same way that your phone gets an over-the-air update, so you wake up in the morning and you've got new software on your phone, the same thing happens with Tesla's cars. So they keep getting better. They keep adding new features and functionality and hard books. All recently that start to um, charge for some of the updates. They did one, like I said, in early December, where for $2,000, you could get an extra half-second shaved off the time it took you to go from zero to six uh, miles per hour or zero to 100 kilometers an hour. So that was the first paid update they did. And since then, they've done a couple more. Uh, For people who bought the lower-end Model 3, for example, if you paid an extra few hundred dollars, you could get the heating in the rear seats turned on because they ship the cars because it's cheaper than the cars as standard and then just sell them with features disabled. And then you can ask people later if they want them enabled through an over-the-air update. So, you know, adding features and functionality and selling them means you are turning your car into something like an iPhone or a Kindle or something like that. You're selling it as a platform uh, to which you can then, you know, increase your revenue by selling features over the air updates. So your car becomes a platform for software to sell software to your, your customers, which is something that has never, ever, ever been done in the history of cars before. So that's why I call it the iPhoneification of the automotive industry. Um, it's, it's a completely new model, and it's one that very few companies are going to be able to do initially. Uh, a lot of it requires a direct relationship with the customers, and most of the OEMs, most of the big car companies today don't have that. They don't sell direct to the customer. This is something that Tesla does, but other car companies sell through dealer networks, which is which makes it which means a one step from the customer. It makes it harder to have that relationship and to sell that software and to have that model. Uh, never mind the technology that's required to do this. 
So it's a complete shift. Um, the, the, the older car companies, some of them will. I mean, uh, the, the CEO of Volkswagen uh, said a couple of weeks back, uh, maybe it's a couple of months back at this point, but he said very recently uh, that Volkswagen are going, to be have to, are going to have to become a software company. Uh, so he has seen it, and you know, folks like and we know have, <clears throat> shall we say, reputational issues. But you know, they've grasped that metal. Uh, they are chasing electrification down hell for leather. And now, as I said, their CEO has said, we need to change. Uh, we need to become a software company. I've not heard any of the other OEMs say that. So I'll be optimistic for the for VW's future, but some of the others. There's a danger that goes away of 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 uh, Nokia and BlackBerry or Blockbuster, even you know any of those kind of or Kodak, any of those famous failure stories that we're all so familiar with. Then you know there's the whole Waymo and the shift mm-hmm. to autonomy, which is a whole another sector again. And I don't know if you want to go there just yet because that that's, that's another change in business models as well. But I think maybe I should stop and, and, and let people jump in before we get on the Waymo route and the autonomy the autonomy route. Interesting. Tom, before I, I move back, we're just about in our predictions segment. We have seven minutes left to the show. You mentioned one more thing in your notes that we have to talk about, or at least I'd love you to weigh in on flying taxis. Sure. Seriously, what are we talking about? Is this the Jetson era? Who, what is a flying taxi, Tom? So uh, with drone technology advancing as much as it has in the last few years, uh, we're now starting to see lots of companies like starting with Uber, but a lot more than that as well. Uh, they're coming to, to create these drones that are capable of carrying people. Uh, you know, they, are, they, they will be autonomous, they will be electric, and it's, while it sounds far-fetched, it actually, I think, will happen in a lot of places before fully autonomous cars happen because the technology required to do it is already here today. There's very little required to get there, whereas for fully autonomous cars, you need hyper-local, real-time mapping at millimeter scale. Uh, whereas you don't need that for, cars, for flying taxis that are needing 3D because they can move in 3D, so they don't need a hyper-local real-time mapping. They just need the communications to talk to each other and to talk to everything in 3D space, which is actually an easier problem to solve. And there's lots of companies chasing this. Uber and Hyundai have planned up, or have teamed up, rather, uh, to, so Hyundai will manufacture the flying taxis for Uber. Uh, Uber have partnerships with several cities to try this out in 2023. Uh, if I remember quite correctly, LA... Uh, Sydney, Dallas, and Dubai are the companies they've teamed up with. I, I, I could be corrected on that. Volocopter is another one in this space. Lilium is another one in this space. Uh, Bell helicopters are in this space as well. They uh, showcased a, a prototype they had at EF last year. Joby Aviation have teamed up with Toyota. Toyota had invested $590 million in them uh, as the lead investor. Uh, Boeing are in this space as well. They've invested in this. And as uh, Airbus, Airbus had their Bahana platform of flying taxis where their initial one got its first uh, license to fly in May of last year. They have two different versions, one single passenger and another four to five passengers. Thank you, Tom. I took a cough break there. I'm sorry. I had to move my, remove my headset. Thank you very much. We are technically in the crystal ball predictions round. Really good conversation here with Colin Sutherland at Geotab and SAP's Tom Raftery. Colin, you're up. I can give you, oh, 60 seconds. Crystal ball, look into the future. What do you see, Colin Sutherland, on our topic from fossil fuels to electrons, the future trends in the mobility industry? What's coming or driving up the road, down the pike, whatever direction you're looking. And Mr. Sutherland, you're up. Go. Yeah, Bonnie, you know, honestly, it's it, to, just to play a little bit off what Tom was talking about, businesses right now are in the, in the position of evaluating the cost of time and the cost of distance. And these new technologies, these EVs, which drive 500,000 miles, a million kilometers, unlike the combustion vehicle that goes 100,000 miles, we can go and extend the depreciated cost of that asset so far right now that we can take a look at the total cost of the ownership, divide that into distance segments and time segments, 
And that's why you're seeing this brand new immersive technology come out, including flying taxis, including, you know, last mile delivery vans. But we've got to help the fleet manager see things differently. They're too much stuck in the old combustion way of thinking. Unfortunately, the fleet manager who's the best wrench turner, maintenance guy, is probably not going to be the same guy that's going to lead the EV revolution, which will likely be a chief strategy officer, a chief technology officer of an organization. So we need to help uh, educate both the fleet person to understand the value of EVs in terms of time and value of distance, and also educate these chief technology officers on these technologies so we can help them transition to become really strong, agile organizations in the future. Thank you very much. Agile organizations in the future is what we're all looking for. Tom Raftery, I have exactly 60 seconds with your name and your hat on them. Go ahead, Tom. What do you see? So I'll follow up on what Colin was saying there. I mean, the idea of uh, convincing the chief strategy officer is a good one, absolutely. But I think uh, more important might be to convince the chief finance officer because if we look at things like uh, the cost to uh, drive a bus today, and I'll use the American data, a diesel bus today costs 75 cents per mile to drive over its lifetime, an electric bus costs 20 cents. So right there, you've got a, a, an incredible incentive. I think fleets, as, as Colin Reilly said, it's a fleet that will move first, purely for cost reasons, nothing to do with sustainability. I love the sustainability, but actually, if you think about it, if you're moving, if you're making these moves on the basis of economics, then that makes it financially sustainable, which is probably even better than sustainability-based emissions. Thank you very, very much. Tom, I hope you have a really, really, really good what's left of St. Patrick's Day. What time is it there in Spain, Tom? It's 5 to 4 in the afternoon. Okay, it's just about time for that lager. I know that. Yes, it is. And, Colin, <laughs> it's always always time for bubbly. And where in Canada are you, Colin? I'm just in Toronto, Canada. Okay, just in Toronto. You have to. I'm in Toronto, just Canada. In Toronto. It's never just in Toronto. It's I'm in Tor- well, Toronto. Yeah, I'm in Toronto, and I know you don't pronounce time. the snow. You is don't pr- come for another six months. You're welcome anytime. Thank you. And you know what? You don't ever say the second T, so it's Toronto. I've learned that. I have a lot of colleagues in Toronto. Shout out again to Judy Cubis. Judy, you've been going out of your mind tweeting. We appreciate it very much. But interesting, Judy, your tweets all say that there is sensitive material in them, and I have to give permission to view them. Never had that before. So I have to check my settings on Twitter. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It has been a pleasure speaking with two really savvy, articulate people about their expertise in our topic today, from fossil fuels to electrons future trends in the mobility industry, and I think we're all going to be looking for a lot more ride-sharing, a lot more fun driving electric vehicles, and being concerned and being part of sustainability in this crazy world we're living in. All I can say to our listeners is, please be safe, please be healthy. Bonnie D. Graham signing off, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Oh, and thank you to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Thank you, Aaron. We love you. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Colin Sutherland at Geotab, and just like Tom Raftery at SAP. Be safe. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.